um, it's a little difficult for me to get going this morning. Um, harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> One of the reasons I think that speaking publicly is so difficult for some people is that it's very um, naked, you know, kind of. It's very... Um, open, possibly, you know, and especially since part of what I'm talking about is about being an authentic person, I find myself a little uh, um, stopped. So I think I'll dive right in. Um, I think many of you know, anyway, I think some of you know that my um, foster sister passed away last week. Her name was Gigi Close. Her name is on the altar, along with another name uh, of the uncle of the Sangha member, community member, who also passed away a couple of weeks ago. So, um, it's not, uh, I was going to convince myself that it's not sad. (laughs) And this is how I'm going to do it. Um, It's not really sad because she had Alzheimer's. I think I've told you this before. And um, so, when I went back to see her the last time, she wasn't really there at all. She was physically there, but um, not conscious in the way that we are used to relating to each other. So I wanted to ask you, um, how many people here have lost someone you love? through death or divorce or them being gone in some way. Could you raise your hand? Oh, my heavens to Betsy. Wow. Yes, there is. Am I connected? I am, but I have to speak louder. Uh, Thank you. You can just tell me and I will respond, okay? So, um, so you see? So it's very interesting that all of us have experienced life, right? This is, this is what life is about. Life is about change. And um, this is the truth of our lives. And if we turn away from it, we have a lot of more pain than happens if you're just open to whatever the loss is. So resistance 
is a uh, unskillful way of responding to life that is the nature of life. It's just this changing-ness. So my brother is also going through a difficult time in his life. And I happened to mention to him a practice that wonderful practice called Tonglen. And um, I think I should just follow what I wanted to say here. <laughs> One of the things I think that becomes really apparent when we lose somebody is how precious life is, how precious each connection that we have with a person, a dog, a flower is. And we have a tendency to forget. It's why we say on the Han, you know, life goes by quickly. Awake, awake. Do not waste the time that we have. So one of the most important things about living with each other, we live with each other, right? One of the most important things is that we give each other this gift of our authentic self. And it's really hard for us, often. But it's a gift. It's a, it's a way, it's what we have to give our, our authentic self. And if we, if we move around, if we um, don't take that risk, we're not actually able to give that gift. If we don't, I always ask the person who's my chisha, my helper, my attendant, I always say to them, please tell me what you, act, what you can do. If I ask you to do something and you don't want to do it, please tell me that you're not actually going to do it. I need to know. That's their gift to me. They're saying no is a gift to me. Then I can take care of it. If they say yes and then they actually don't do it, then I have no idea how to relate to them next time. I don't know if they're telling me who they are or if they're telling me who they think I want them to be. or. Where, where, where is the reality here? So this, this ability to be authentically who we actually are is a gift that we need to give each other. We need to give it to ourselves first. We need to find who we are, who our authentic being is. And then we need to give it even if it's different. Even if we, you know, grew up in a household that is, likes, you know, mashed potatoes, but we like um, asparagus, you know, then you need to stand up as an asparagus-liking person. (laughs) So I gave, I suggested, 
my brother do Tonglen, this practice of Tonglen, which is about this sense of shared humanity. I mean, I think everybody put up their hand today. So we have all, all of us, have gone through this kind of suffering of loss. And Tonglen is a practice about connection. It's about connecting to that humanity, that common humanity that we all have times of pain and distress. And we can say to ourselves, when we are in that place of grief or of darkness or of despair or hopelessness in, in the, in the um, unhelpful way of hopelessness. We can say other people feel this. Probably a hundred million right now are feeling the very same thing I am feeling. And it's a relief. You know, in Tonglen, the practice is to bring that whatever it is, that grief, that sense of loss, that sense of despair, to bring it toward, toward the very part of you that is resistant to receiving that, the part of you that doesn't want to feel at a loss, out of control, vulnerable. Bring it toward that part. And, and, and that part, if you bring that toward that part with awareness, that part of us that's contracted and closed doesn't stand a chance. It, it, it softens, it softens as we meet as we connect, as we reconnect, we're always connected, as we reconnect consciously with other human beings, just like ourselves. And if we have any sense of, you know, being able to remember this, we can meet other people this way all the time, you know? The person on the subway stepped on my foot in a hurry to get some very important place. You know? Thank you. Thank you. I'm in a hurry, too. I've been in a hurry. I understand. You can step on my foot. I've been there. I've done that. So even though I'm about to say lots of words, I'm going to say lots of words in a minute. All these words are really worth not much unless 
they open our heart. Our practice is about more and more being able to connect. It's a heart practice, even though it looks very... It's a physical practice. Sometimes, because there are lots of words connected to it, it looks like a wordy practice, but it's not. It's a heart practice. And the words aren't worth much unless they produce us as more and more open to ourselves, to other people, just the way we are, authentic. Without judgment. So, um, we've been talking about time and about, uh, in particular, lately, we've been talking about Dogen's essay about time, called Being Time, called Uji in Japanese. We talked about um, the first line last time. where he spells out what he will be talking about. That life, that the activity of life is time, and that each activity on each moment is time, and that this time contains all time and is illuminated, is illuminated through, through awareness, with awareness, through and through. And he encourages us to see this He said he used the word illuminated, this awakeness, this glorious radiance in the details of each activity. And that's our practice. It's it's an it's really an extraordinary idea that is expressed in Buddhism in many different ways. That each moment of our lives, each activity we do, is infused with awakeness, with this luminous presence that we are. So, Dogen is being very kind to us. He's helping us see that we already are everything that we need to recognize our deepest nature because that's what we are. And even when we doubt that, that also is time. So I'm going to read you this next paragraph, which is about Uh, the mundane kind of person, the regular us, ordinary people, and how we relate to time. He says, Even though you do not measure the hours of the day as long or short, far or near, there are still, we still call it 12 hours, or, or we still call it 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Because the signs of times coming and going are obvious, 
people don't doubt it. We take it for granted. Although they do not doubt it, they don't understand it. Or when sentient beings doubt what they do not understand, their doubt is not firmly fixed. And because of that, their past doubts do not necessarily coincide with present doubt, yet doubt itself is nothing but time. So I think it's kind of clear. You know, he's talking about our understanding of time the way we talked about it as Newtonian time. Remember that that time goes by and that we are separate from time. But he is saying that although we we should, that he's saying that we should doubt our automatic acceptance of time as separate from us. And we also should doubt that there is continuity. I, I looked it up the other day about continuity, and there is actually, the way the brain works, the, we perceive, and that perception becomes like an image in the mind. And there's consciousness of that image. And then this really neat kind of thing happens. We perceive something else, and it also comes to the mind as this image in the mind, but it, the past image doesn't go away fast enough, and there's a teensy-weensy overlap of the past image with this current perception that we're having. And that way the brain functions allows us to have content, makes us think that there's continuity. It's kind of memory, and it happens really fast. So we think that there's continuity, where actually there's not continuity. It's kind of neat the way it works. I think it's probably functional, right? We actually need to, to have that kind of continuity because if everything was only one perception, I don't know how that would be, actually. <laughs> but in a way, I mean, there actually really is true that the whole whole arises of itself completely in a moment. And you can have that sense of, non-continuity in our life. But mostly we don't. We have this sense of continuity because of memory. And it's just the way the brain works. So he's saying, we don't doubt. We just assume things are that way. We don't wonder about it. We're not curious about it. We're not really very curious about what we are either. But he's saying that we should, we should be doubt. We should doubt. We should doubt how we think about time. And then he's saying, like I just read, if we do doubt that, that doubt itself is time. So he's including a sense, he's not dismissing a sense of linear time or a sense of the way we think of mundane time. He's not dismissing that. But he is saying that we should question that. And then he has this really terrific next paragraph. He says, it's really pretty. Maybe I'll talk about it first, the next section. 
Well, let me talk about it first for a second. So in the next section, in the last section, he was talking about time with ordinary people's sense of it. And in the next section, he talks about time from the point of view of realization of the big self. And I think I find it very beautiful because he says, we set the self out in a ray and make that the whole world. So what we are looking at is what we are. This is his suggestion. He sees all the various things of the whole world as so many times. He is saying that the big self is the true self in the sense of isness of each activity, and that it's a conceptual overlay that breaks up this one wholeness. Let me read it. The way the self arrays itself is the form of the entire world. See each thing in this entire world as a moment of time. Things do not hinder one another, just as moments do not hinder one another. The way-seeking mind arises in this moment. A way-seeking moment arises as this mind. It is the same with practice and with attaining the way. Thus, the self setting itself out in array sees itself. This is the understanding that the self is time. It's a beautiful thing. When we have a conceptual overlay, when our perception is clouded by ideas, by reified ideas, by ideas that we give belief to and substantiate, what happens is it kind of, it's like a contraction or a hardening of awareness. It's kind of a strange way of putting it, but. And you can feel it as a contraction. And when awareness infuses that contraction, it softens. And so I'm talking about the self here, that we have ideas about who we are and who other people are. And when we reify, when we make real those ideas, that's what makes separation. we, we, We harden this sense of, contracted consciousness. And that when we bring awareness to those very ideas, to those beliefs, to that structure of a sense of separation, it, it softens that structure. When we really question what we are, we can't help but include everything. It turns into this wholeness, right? I am the body that has to eat, that has food in it that was grown, that needs rain, that is energized by the sun, by the sun. I am not separate from the sun. I'm not separate from the rain, from the earth. 
it's not that I get bigger and bigger. It's that what this bigness is, is what I am. And we're not talking about merging. Sometimes that gets confused in in spiritual pursuits. We're not talking about merging. In this underlying stillness, this silence that is this functioning whole, there is still distinct individuality. That's why he says an array. Such a beautiful word. But these individual, these apparently individualnesses are shot through with this stillness, this illuminated presence. And it is in this way that Dogen is talking about Uji, time being, the sameness of self and time, or being and time, or activity and time. In other words, he's talking about this oneness, this whole, this wholeness. He's always talking about this wholeness. So Dogenus says in the paragraph that I just read that each individuality has its own place and in no way hinders anything else. Each life has its own place, its own function, its own meaning, I guess you can say, from a human point of view. And the whole is moving in this wonderful flow of energy. And when we, when we stop fighting with this, with this, with life, you know, with this movement, with this dynamic movement of life, life becomes very simple. It's like, um, you know, the chair has its own, you would say, he would say chair time, you know, or bell time, or tia time. And then it's up to me to bring tia time forward, even if I'm afraid to do that. That's also tia time or being time, or being Tia, or the activity of Tia. You know, it's very strange because, I mean, when I hear myself saying that, you never, talk, you never call yourself your own name, you know, very much. So I, I'm not used to hearing myself talk about myself that way. So it's like, it's like this, it's like, like, it's like a, like a mask almost. You know, it's like a, like this personality mask that I'm responsible for, you know. But it's like this personality that you put on, you know, over 
this uh, stillness, this, this silence that we play out, we act out as life flows. We are that life. You know that's what actually Tia is. You know, Tia time is lifetime. But in this particular case, you know, for a short time. Shorter and shorter all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So for Dogen, each thing is complete and independent at the same time. And each thing contains within itself the whole world and all of time on each moment, each activity. It's the same, another, I mean, I think I was just thinking of another example. Another example might be, I mean, this is a silly example. (laughs) But like, I mean, silly because it's so mundane, but it's like when you're in a meeting. When you're in a meeting, you are yourself, you know, you're Bob. Bob goes to a meeting. So when Bob is sitting in the meeting, Bob is Bob, but also Bob is the meeting. And it's not like he's a part of the meeting. There's not part of the meeting. It, he is the meeting. And sometimes when we're in a meeting, sometimes we need to know that we're both. If a person is too much Bob in a meeting, the meeting doesn't go very well. You know? But if Bob and the meeting as Bob is balanced, then Bob can notice when, you know, he's too much Bob, and he can, he can raise up the side that, of himself that is the meeting and pay particular attention to what the meeting needs and take care of that equally as he's taking care of himself as Bob. It's kind of like that. We're both all the time. The problem is, is that we only think we're separate. And we run around madly trying to take care of our separation. And if we would just stop for a moment and consider ourselves also as the whole, you know, maybe we can be a little bit relieved of the burden of self the burden of carrying around our conditioned self, and just put it down for a while. And see the beauty, you know, of the whole functioning, flowing by. So So he also includes in this paragraph where he talks about the way-seeking mind arises on this moment. He's talking about bodhicitta. He's talking about the mind that wants to awaken to benefit all being. The mind that knows itself as the whole 
And when it wakens, it wakens up out of the individual self as the whole. So everything wakes up at the same time. It wakes up out of self-concern, self-referencing, and into openness, connection, kindness, love, you can say. So, in the beginning of this little talk, we started with the heart, the heart. And we end with the heart. And all the rest of it in the middle is just so much blah, blah, blah. It's just pointing us home. It's pointing us home. So, you know, when you think of your own, when we think of our own pain, our own suffering, there's somebody right next door feeling the same thing, you know? We're not separate. And especially when we have a loss, especially when there's a loss. You know, take pleasure in every little joy. You know, the sound. Some guy chose that station. <laughs> you know? or, or girl, I don't know what it was. How great is that? You know? It's like that. Right in the midst, we can find our joy, quiet joy, quiet contentment, not happiness, just a quiet sense of ease. It's really okay. We just have to, we just have to know that and share that. It's one whole life. And we need to take care of it that way. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.